Well, welcome back to interesting interviews uh, with Jeremy Ayers. This is number three, <clears throat> and um, I have a, a a very close friend of mine uh, to interview today, Gareth Thomas, who not only is my uh, dentist and a brilliant dentist he is, he really is, uh, in Leather Lane in London, um, but he's also <clears throat> um, my drinking buddy in one of the oldest pubs in London called Yo Mitre which he introduced me to, and I just absolutely adore it. It's, it's, um, you can feel the history when you walk into, it, walk into there. But Gareth is also far more than a dentist. Dentist, I, I see him as a dentist almost as his superhero cover, you know, a bit like, a bit like Clark Kent, <clears throat> because, you know, when he takes off his dental uniform, I, you know, the, tr the true man and his gifts, uh, I think, are present, and he can tell you what they are, but essentially... Um, he's an he's an uh, an energy uh, healer and teacher, and you know I say that he's my he's my foundation stone to go to for the sort of um, unseen physical medicine of the ether, so to speak. And he's incredibly experienced in this realm. And just before we came on, he asked me how long have we known each other, and and I said that's a that's a kind of etheric question because he said no this lifetime, and so we laughed. But what is it, Gareth? Is it is it nineteen? Well, nineteen something we met. Uh, nineteen ninety-seven or eight, maybe, maybe ninety-seven, possibly the end of ninety-seven. Right, uh, when and you you were a very naughty boy back then. Is that... Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> do, do, yeah. do you you know? I mean, this whole series of is what's your story or or, or specific aspects, but. You, you and Nina Walsh, who's our, our, our mutual great friend, is how we kind of met. Um, but do you, do you want to share your, your story is very interesting and what you've learned. But do you want to share aspects of your story, particularly what we uh, mentioned before we start the show? Actually, I think if that's a good place to start, you know, um, uh, because um, when, I, when I met you around 97, I just come back from traveling um, to Australia and Southeast Asia, and um, I'd <clears throat> I'd basically taken a year out because I was um, unsure of my future. So I thought rather than carry on down a track that is making me unhappy, I'll take some time out. I'll travel and. Um, so <clears throat> that was the beginning of uh, some quite um, tortuous sort of uh, directions in life. Because uh, I went to Australia in about 94, leaving um, what was then quite a promising, you know, um, uh, future in surgical um medicine probably going on to study head and neck medicine because i qualified as a dentist in 91 and worked in hospital service 
Uh, and then the next step for me would have been um, uh, retraining in medicine because head and neck surgeons have to be doubly qualified and then do my surgical exams. And, you know, I was um, I was recognized by my peers as being somebody who had uh, a lot of ability and promise. But um, while I was in the hospital service, uh, particularly uh, in the subject of head and neck cancer, um, things just didn't sit right for me. Um, and I'd come from, you know, a family where my mum was a nurse, my auntie was a sister. Um, and when I say sister, an old fashioned sister on a ward. Um, and uh, loved, they, loved they were... and feared it was an old fashioned sister. Yeah, loved and feared. And but you know what? Um, you could tell that when I, I, I remember conversations with my mum and aunt they, they had when I was a kid growing up. And above all, you could tell they, they, they really sincerely cared about people, you know. So I grew up with this thing instilled in me that healthcare was a, a caring profession, you know. And so I, I, I was probably um, nurtured in that way, um, but also probably came in to this incarnation with that pattern, a healer of some sort, right? And I think there's probably quite a lot of people in, in healthcare, in all forms of healthcare, that have that pattern. Yeah, so, I, I believe it. And of course, they'll naturally go there because it's set up to draw them believing that that's the way for their vocation to be realized. Well, it, if you don't have any other options, then what else do you do? You know, you, if you don't have knowledge of something different, you follow what you have to try and fulfill you know your your um your purpose and i mean i'm old-fashioned in my thinking but i think um any form of health care it's a calling you know it's a service whether you like it or not you are of service to other people um Absolutely. I think, and i think that's some re some of the reasons why we see a, um, a collapse now of the medical system is that um it's either that's been lost or is being lost or it's undervalued. So people are just saying, you know what, what's the point? You know, but I, <clears throat> I, I, so I, I trained as a dentist. And then, as I say, what was thinking, go back to medicine to uh, become, you know, head and neck surgeon. Uh, while I was in, um, you know, a, a very good cancer unit, in terms of what they consider to be good in general, general medicine. Um, I just felt that, you know, some of, some of the things I saw didn't, it started to not resonate with me, you know, <clears throat> end of life stuff, um, surgical intervention, when maybe, you know, a person is at the end of their life and they could maybe pass from this realm to the other um in a more comfortable way but of course general medicine doesn't really acknowledge the non-physical you know so i i was a i was quite um uh i wouldn't say confused but i was unsure what what direction i wanted to take i mean if you go in and train to be a head and neck surgeon there's a big commitment 
So it didn't sit right. So I thought, no, I'll take a year out. I'll go to Australia. Um, I'd had a girlfriend from there, and I, I knew she she could put me up. And um, uh, so when I when I got there, I thought, well, you know, what's the point of just staying in one place? I'll go around and have a look at everything. <clears throat> and while I was on my travels, I met some quite interesting people. Um, and, <laughs> I see uh, how you smile and laugh. They're interesting. That that that. Yeah. Well, they they're people that you know I, I were very different to the people I've been exposed to in university. Um, having said that, you know I I, I know that um, uh, medics and dentists, uh, uh, although it's harsh, they they have. Um, they have their time of um, misuse of things, yeah, uh, to cope, and, and it's probably a bigger problem than people realise. But um, you know, it's a it's a stressful job, so they have to they learn how to deal with this stress somehow. But I, I got into um, um, the dance scene, you know. I was into music, and uh, that includes taking, you know certain drugs and um it opened my mind yeah it opened my mind at that time now uh i left australia went to southeast asia and i met a very interesting guy um who was buddhist monk who was training people in uh, traditional thai massage and by that time i <clears throat> You know, I was opening up to ideas that uh, may, maybe I could be something else in life. May, maybe there is an option here. Um, and I remember um, being in uh, particularly Indonesia and Thailand and, you know, being submerged in, in nature. And your, for me, my, my thoughts started to change, you know. And that that sort of healing potential probably started to emerge. But this guy I met, <clears throat> he taught me traditional Thai muscles in acupressure. And I remember um, there's there's a uh, this girl who twisted her ankle really badly. I mean, you probably you know if it was in conventional medicine, she would have been off to any X-ray. Um, you know, keep it up for a few days then have some physio whereas we did some acupressure on her every day and i mean her foot was you know blue with bruising so it was a really bad sprain you could tell that she is. took a really bad sprain but she had acupressure twice a day she came within a few days she was walking on it you know and i and i just thought wow this is something in this um so I went, I, you know, I remember going for a, a run with this guy, uh, Jan, his name was, you know, and um, lovely person, really lovely person. We went for a run and I was a bit out of breath. And he said, can you just stop for a second? Took my little fingers and felt my pulses of my heart, you know, the meridians. And he said to me, he said, look, if you don't do something with your health, you, you're going to have problems later on. He was direct and honest, you know, which was was great. He yeah, said, if you is. don't if you don't do something with your health, 
you're going to have problems, right? And I know, I mean, my dad had, had heart disease, right? Um, which I, I don't think is uh, particularly deeply linked to dietary stuff. I think it's more related to um, emotional patterns, thought patterns, your ancestral patterns, having gone into that quite deeply. And it was quite interesting because I, I know now that every healer, true healer, has a wound in the heart. Yeah, they have a wound in the heart that they have to heal. That's part of their their journey. You know? I've never heard you share that with me. That that's interesting because the healers, to use that that broad term for those that I um, describe as in <clears throat> true medicine, um, they've all suffered that I know terribly in this life that i know of to come through and yeah. they all have this calling that they can't i mean i've tried to walk away from doing this twice in my life because it just burnt me out and you can't do it you, so in the end you have to just yield and to whatever capacity you choose you have to yield that this is in me um and and i have to willingly give myself to service you know so I, I i resonate with what you say but i've never heard you say that wound in the heart yeah uh so like i i train um uh when i said train i i you know i hold groups of um you know small groups for healers to train how to be energy healers right and okay i'm teaching them techniques i'm facilitating them but i'm creating a space for them to remember, you know, who they are on a deeper level, why they're here, and to understand some of those things because m most of them, if not all, have this wound. They they find it difficult to, to be in the world. They find it too dense. Um, um, and just hard. And I, I mean, their, their feelings I remember as a child, I think I came in with those um, where you just think, I don't fit in here. I don't resonate. This is this is an odd existence, you know. Um, and, and for context, for people who I mean, you you're Welsh and people know I make jokes about the Welsh all the time that I, I try not to associate in any way with them. And more and more coming into my life. It's 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 hilarious. But um, you were you were deep in the valleys mining towns oh you? yeah i mean i i was deep in I, the place i grew up in was mardi right and it was known as little moscow because it, it was basically deeply socialist deeply union people um very very masculine you know you know men which you know if i look back i think some of those qualities good yeah but it's of also course, now yeah the man is under attack yeah but it's also it's like that that inability to feel emotion right that inability to feel emotion to actually cry to let go to to be passive for a, you know and have the balance between both energies you know the yin and yang and but i grew up i mean where i grew up it was it, it was hard it was poor you know people didn't have money my my family didn't have money uh, my dad was ill most of my life, you know, um, and um, I think they did their best.
but it was you know set in a very old-fashioned way my mum was was um her, her dad was a preacher so she'd had a very strong religious upbringing so that was you know imprinted on me to a certain extent um and i think what happens is that you you, you take on these patterns and then as you grow older your soul or whatever you want to call is a, a higher energy of yourself which is truer than the physical vehicle we're in right it starts to impress upon you and all those things that you you know are not you start to come to light so you have to either you know work through them let them go find other ways of being you know but um uh i think that um, those patterns that I came in with, the patterns that I, I sort of um, impart, you know, sort of took on as a child, um, they they led me into a place where, you know, to re rejoin with the the journey that I went through in Southeast Asia, my experimentation with uh, drugs then turned to addiction, you know. So I remember getting back to London and you talk about nina it was quite funny uh it, you know the these sort of chance meetings of people because i was moving into a house with all my my friends at that point right uh continuing on my 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 journey into addiction right and um as i was moving in nina was moving out right and i just looked at this person i thought i know you from somewhere you know so I kept in touch with her. We, we started making music and that was fun. Uh, she still does that. I still do that to, to you know, a certain degree. Um, and then I, I just ended up being, you know, in this this house of madness for, you know, a couple of years, two or three years of just like um, abuse, really, addiction, you know, and trying to keep um, a job going at the same time, you know. And, a, a functional uh, addict yeah a functional addict exactly you know but i remember i mean um it was it was interesting i, I when i when i um you know you, any any addiction which i you know i to be honest i'm not fond on the word and what it's become uh i like more compulsive attachment to, to a behavior you know you can have a compulsive attachment to any behavior you know it just depends on whether the behavior is doing you any good or not um and i think with um drug drug abuse um you know you can get into some pretty dark places um and you can think you're functional but you're not really but you know i, I was going to correct myself and say actually it's a an oxymoron because it's 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 a dysfunctional addict yeah. and, and and sorry to interrupt you but because i'm working with this wonderful dutch lady called anyo who who was a former alcoholic uh, and went through the 12 steps aa and she <clears throat> hates the term you know alcoholic you know because it's not helpful right and actually we're now uh, in a project together to try and advance where they stopped with the Alcoholic Anonymous 12 Steps, and, and we're calling it the 
alcoholic jigsaw but she certainly did not just to give you credence to what you said she mm. hates that term alcoholic and it sort of cements it on you and you know me and my work and probably you we, we a lot of our work is to get rid of the label that you've been diagnosed or put because you go i have or i am you know yeah. and that's not helpful <laughs> yeah you take it on so if you go <clears throat> if you if you say oh i'm I'm an addict. I have a disease. All right. Um, okay. You, it's good to acknowledge that there's a behavior, but if you become the identity um, and, you know, I, I think these programs like 12 step narcotics anonymous, they do good. For sure. Um, but the issue is, is that you can heal the pattern completely. Yeah. I believe so. You don't have to say to yourself, um, so for example, um, if you have, if you're not, if you're abusing anything, you can change that energetically and heal it so that you don't abuse it. Yeah. So for example, an alcoholic can become somebody who drinks moderately and doesn't crave it, you know, and, and can decide whether they drink or not so that 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 emotion and those thoughts are so powerful to drive it they don't have any power over that person anymore you know because any any alcoholic any person into addiction will tell you that they cannot help themselves sometimes that that feeling those thoughts surrounding it that you know um drive to take that that self-medication right um is just is so powerful it's like you know they it just overcomes them this this leads me into a question i've been wanting to ask you because here we have a a, a boy from the valleys with my mm. terrible welsh accent that that breaks free of uh what would be considered and i don't mean to uh, uh, insult anyone but a working class welsh village that was hard you know probably hard work all day, hard drinking and lots of trouble in between those two phases, broke away, became a doctor, became a very talented or was on his way to be a very talented surgeon. And then, you know, drifted away into uh, a totally different lifestyle and, and a uh, set of people and therefore experiences and became an addict, which I accept that you don't like that word, but for the purpose of now, my, my, the question I'm leading to is, mm. is, and, and I have talked about this with you privately, but the origins of the word alcohol are an Arabic word. Just for example, as one of the addictive substances, drugs is al ghul and al ghul means a spirit eating ghoul or, or a ghoul attachment. Hence why strong alcohol is spirits, right? And we're in a current time of, of massive transition, massive misinformation. We don't really know our history. And there is a lot of people uh, discussing uh, entity attachments. And, you know, from a, from, a, from a religious point of view, it's demons and jinn. From a new age point of view, it's entities and goodness knows what else. But... I, I believe you'll understand because when you say you can choose, that's quite challenging to an alcoholic because the 12 steps are no alcohol ever. You're allergic to it. And the spiritual side is you're, you're asking for trouble to attach to you. 
But what having been um, uh, addicted to substances and having worked with people and knowing where we are, what's your view on the energetic stroke attachment stroke? Is it all nonsense? Is it real? What is it, Gareth? Um, okay, I, I think I'd have to include my own personal experience here. Okay, um, because um, my period of, of abuse or abuse lasted about three, maybe four years, and it was quite intense, right? But um, I, when I when I say I was in Thailand and met that guy, he, he introduced me to meditation, which I just continued to do, right? And when I came. Um, uh, to a point where I decided to give up. Some, you know, I remember taking a massive dose of LSD, right? And I almost felt like I lost my mind. And that was a wake-up call for me. I just thought, wow, um, I could lose the most valuable thing to me, which is my mind. If Are you saying because you were so outside of the constructs of your mind that you saw through the veil or things that you shouldn't have seen? Or what do you mean by that? What happened was um, I, um, I remember um, seeing myself doing energy work, right? So I saw myself as a healer. But I also... Um, found that um it opened up doorways too much too soon and what happens is that um and what i know now is that energetically i was forcing my consciousness into planes that otherwise you can't really reach now the world is full of people um um, who can be positive or negative. It can be good or evil, right? Um, or if you if you want to make it more um, less dramatic, people are of a different vibration. People vibrate on different frequencies. Emotions are different. You know, lower emotions like hate, anger, although they have their place occasionally, they're of a vibration. And I mean, people have, have researched this and found that lower vibrational stuff is anger. Then you get higher vibration stuff, which is, you know, good things, love, spiritual stuff, right? So when you when you use mind-altering drugs, they, they open the consciousness up and you force yourself into planes of energy. Some of those can be good and some of them can be tricky. Um, and the one that's mainly tricky is known as the astral plane, which is the low, you know, can be from lower emotions, lower thoughts up to really beautiful thoughts. It's a, a huge plane of energy. But the issue you have with anyone who's had any addiction or use of substances, and for me, this can relate to prescribed drugs as well, right? your subtle energy system um and to keep it basic most people refer to the energy field or biomagnetic field that surrounds us and the energy centers or chakras right 
what you do when you take drugs is you weaken it and you open up your chakras to planes of existence that otherwise you don't have access to. Now, the problem with that is if you do that regularly enough, you form a pattern that keeps you connected to something, all right? So when you come back to the idea of, you know, people talk about attachments and entities and all this stuff, most of the time people are just too open to thought planes, emotions, they they don't have any um, filter to other people's thoughts and emotions. And thoughts and emotions are energy. You know, and I would separate that from things like entities and attachments. That's different. That's a, no, a non-physical world that has, um, you know, uh, energies which you could call beings in, right? So if you want to go back historically, people, you know, talk about elementals. You know, we you look in history about, you know, um, the energies of nature, nature spirits, things like that. That doesn't come from imagination. That's, that's real. There are, there are energies like that. But what's happened over time is that the understanding of that has become a bit distorted. For me, this is my personal opinion. So what happens is that it's more glamorous to say, oh, my God, somebody has got an entity and saying, actually, somebody has got a disease problem, um, like they have thoughts that cause problems or emotions that cause problems. And rather than dealing with those, we create this um, glamorous, um, uh, this glamorous show that goes on with energy work. This is what um, Rudolf Steiner warned against, the glamour, isn't it? The, the, the... Yeah, I mean, there's a few people. I mean, if we talk, you know, this leads into New Age stuff, right? Um, and, you know, people think the New Age is, you know, the 60s, 70s, leading into the 80s. Oh, we're in the New Age now, right? This, this, this New Age started in the, you know, early 1800s. Yeah, there are people who were um, free thinkers, you know, the sort of foundations of energy medicine, of um, psychotherapy, of spiritual um, ways of thinking. And when I say spiritual, uh, you know, it's inclusive of, of religious belief, which I believe all religions have a, a core value, you know, but For there sure. are... There are there are spiritual practices, um, and what I mean by that is people who don't believe in anything can be spiritual. Yeah, they can be good people. They can be vibrating on a more spiritual level. But I think uh, I mean I I look at the new age starting in the eighteen thirties forties. Um, lots of people um, starting to think differently. You know, and then it started, goes on in the 1900s. Like you say, people like Steiner, Blavatsky, Alice Bailey, um, Edward Bach, you know, the Backflower Remedies. Um, yeah, genius. Yeah, genius people who thought, you know, that, that there's, a, there's a movement. And they, they were the, the start for me of the, realizing the energy that, that, that is manifesting now, right? So um, 
for me, the new age isn't, you know, flowery. Yeah, it's not about um, spiritual bypass. Yeah, so you know, you become people who become so spiritual that they bypass their issues, their their problems. The true nature of spirituality for me is, you know, looking at your your shadow side, looking at your repressed feelings, looking at your disease patterns. Why did you Why did you take those on? So, for example, me, um, having healed that addiction pattern, you know, I understand now why I went into that. What was what was the cause of it in this this lifetime? Yeah. And maybe other lifetimes. So I've made meaning of it. And I think that if you can make meaning of your suffering and learn from it and maybe even share that with other people, you know, that's not a weekend course thing. That's not a short program. That's a that's a that's a work. That's a hard grafting work. That's a, that's a difficult path, you know, which is good. Yeah. Once you get on it, if you if you can realize it's not easy, it's not quick fix. It's lifetimes of work that you're picking up on and um, it's rewarding, you know. But yeah, I easy. couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And the, the the ninety day healing protocol or challenge that I set up, and once people start it, <clears throat> um, and start to usually feel some very very significant changes in ninety days, then I pin it on them <clears throat> that it's actually ninety days, one year minimum. Yeah. And it take you know, in my experience, people can have a dramatic transformation in health understanding yeah. of who they are in a year but truth be told it's an ongoing thing and and to find who you really are your authentic self that barbara wren used to describe as standing in your truth and yeah. and, and i bring that up now because you know you've said a few things including why medicine is collapsing and that might be quite a statement to some people probably not my me the members but these these podcasts and interviews are going out to the public as well. But we're in a time where it seems to me that um, cults are, funny enough, you know, someone uh, was listening to one of our Q&As in their car with their mother or, or sister, I can't remember now which it was. And uh, I said something and the mother said, oh, it sounds like a cult. And um, I said, and I've, I just replied to this when she shared that with me after chuckling. I said, well, if it is a cult, it's a cult of don't believe a word I say and think for yourself, right? <laughs> but but it's, it seems to me that um, actually cults are stronger and larger in this time than ever before. And most people, I think one of the symptoms of a cult is you don't know you're in one. Now, for me, and, and I never wish to offend, <clears throat> although yeah. frequently we do by expressing opinions, I think veganism is a deliberate cult set up to actually harm people under the uh, or, or under one of the beliefs that it's going to lead you to spiritual ascension. Um, but as far as I can tell, along with statism, which is what I might talk about a little bit later on with you, is that um, there is a very, very strong belief that not eating meat 
and being plant-based is the only way to become spiritually stronger, healthier, higher, ready for ascension. Um, what what would be your thoughts on that? Um, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I um, you know, when you, you mentioned Barbara Wren, right? Um, I remember I started the course Natural Nutrition, and that that was actually my my initiation out of addiction, right? Because I started the course, no processed food, um, water, you drunk water, vegetable-based diet, right? No meat, oils, um, and I detoxed majorly, right? I detoxed majorly, and it had its place. It had its place. But after a year, um, it started to be cut, go the other way. And um, one, it's it became really stressful trying to create, keep that um, level of um, uh, limitation up. And it started to affect me physically, you know. And um, I think the problem we have is that we put labels on stuff. You know, I am this, I am that. And agree, you know, it's like food. There's food there. We're born into this planet, right? Whether we like it or not, we're the top of the food chain, okay? And there's food there, and we have to sustain ourselves. And you know, I, there may be a minority of people who, who uh, you know, live on a, a non animal diet that can cope with it but i don't think it's everyone i just don't know it, it, it's what um, i say and it's what barbara taught is listen to your body so you it, know uh, um the truth is in this realm whatever it actually is um you're either eating or being eaten one day bacteria is going to eat you <clears throat> and turn you back to soil so whatever created this whether it be a divine being a matrix or what have you mm. everything's eating or being eaten and then you have to if you've got a spirit for my from my view if you have a spiritual element then you have to accept that you've come from one realm into a physical suit and will go out and it's a cycle of life and therefore how you respectfully address eating is important but at the end of the day to be authentic means listening to your body. And I've said it over and over and over and over again. If you're a raw plant-based vegan and you're thriving, fantastic. Good on you. High five. Not that you need me to, to give you any you know, approval, but, but you have it, right? But uh, uh, many of the people that have come to me who are very ill that were plant-based have said that they were lying to themselves and they were lying to others. And I think what you just said, having studied with Barbara, of course, she was my second mentor. Um, after a period of time, you're like, I can't do this anymore. And you had to, to sort of gravitate back into animal-based products and what have you. Yeah, I think I think that, that I mean, I can understand, like, I can understand people, um, you know, have a love for animals, right? I get it and a nurturing capacity for all life on the planet, right? Um, but if 
say say I I know for a fact I I couldn't survive on a an all plant diet. I tried it, and if I was on an all plant diet, I couldn't go to work help the people I work with. I couldn't help teach and teach the people I teach to help them in their life. I couldn't function. So you know I have to weigh up what my time here on the planet. If I can do good, that outweighs. The the harm I do, then it's a winner for me. Okay, but the problem I think comes is that you know, in the Western world we we have so much choice of food. Huh? So if you you go to Tibet, there are people like lamas who are deeply into spiritual development. That's their life. They don't have a choice. They're brought food by local people. Which contains meat, some of it, and they're of a of a um, of a belief that you should do no harm to all animals, all right, or any uh, sentient being. But they have to eat it because they've got no choice. But they still eat it, knowing that they are continuing on a path of, of development. I don't think that um, what you eat um, is the only way to, you know, uh, lead to some form of um, spiritual progression. Because if if you're focused on a, one type of diet, and a, a people who do the opposite make you angry, right? Um, in a way that, it, you know, you, you want to control them. Um, then the issue isn't diet. The issue is that there's there's emotions and thoughts that are playing out that um, you know shouldn't be driving what you're doing. Really, you know, it's not. I mean, it's not a pleasurable thing. It's self-limiting sometimes. I think if you, people in this, this is for anything. You talk about cults, right? You talk about cults. What what is a cult? It's basically a, a very strong thought form that controls people with a central figure or a central ideology that you cannot escape, right? Now, if you look at that, you can extend that into, you know, politics, medicine, art. Science, science statism. Yeah, food. You know, we, we, we consider ourselves to be, you know, experts of, of language and... Um, you know the you know, so progressed, and we're still weaponizing things against each other, whether that be actual weapons or weaponizing emotions, thoughts against each other. You know that separates people. You know it doesn't lead to harmony in any way. You know, so so I have to ask you mm. that you know you you've experience so much and you you're a very good man you do very good work and um from the cult point of view and john gusty co-author of the red pill revolution and we're about to release the red pill food revolution which discusses some of the subjects we mentioned and the difference between feed and food as most people are on feed and are being herded but John says statism, i.e., you know, the belief in the nation and the borders and the governments and all those strong thought forms is the greatest cult of all. Some will say religion. 
but let's let's take statism. You've you've lived through COVID or COVID as we call it, the same as us. You were a practicing doctor, dentist, and we fully experienced the cult of statism where the iron thought of do as you're told was implemented and um, never before have we seen such a fracturing of sort of them and us type narratives of those who didn't believe COVID because they critically thought and looked at things and those that did because they, they followed the narrative or they followed the science. What I, I want to know, and, and I think members want to know, <clears throat> listeners want to know, how did you navigate that time? Um, <laughs> because I know where you were all the way through it. And, and as we come out of the other side of that, and with all your experiences, and astrologically, because astrologically you're uh, uh, quite knowledgeable, where after you explain what you what COVID was for you professionally and otherwise, where are we at and what's emerging? Because I see a very positive time with some very traumatic times in between. But how how was COVID for you? That's a question, isn't it? How was COVID for you? Um, well, I I remember that you know the day they announced lockdown in March of 2020. I was sitting um uh at work uh, tv was on right i sat down like oh we're gonna have to lock down you know um what was it sort of what was it about the wave to to flatten the curve yeah that's right <laughs> and I, science gareth i just looked at it and you know a lot of my work is intuitive right so trust the intuition you know your first thoughts about something go with them they're usually right when the logical mind or the other side of the mind comes in and starts questioning everything that's when everything starts to go wrong right so i sat there and i thought oh here we go what's going what's happening now right and i mean it's interesting if you think about it humanity lives in these you know, periods of um uh, eras right and uh every era has to come to an end right there has to be changes downfalls of civilizations it's happened over and over and over again yeah one thing is defunct it has to change something new has to come in right so I looked at it and I thought, okay, I can look at this on a on a basic level. Like, um, what are the authorities up to? Uh, I mean, I'm a dentist. I'm looking at people's mouths all the time. If there was anything really deadly out there, I would have been dead by now. You know, I just would have been. So, although you know, we had a load of restrictions on us, um, uh, and intuitively, I knew uh, this is this is not as serious as people are making out. You know, and lo and behold, a uh, uh, last week papers come out saying, "Oh, you know, dentists are at no real risk, right?" And across the so, science, yeah, Thank goodness. But, you know, but three years down the line, there's a lot of damage that's been done. Yeah, a lot Tremendous of damage. damage. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's criminal what's happened. Yeah, 
It's criminal what's happened. Um, and sad, very sad, you know, because people, people have lost loved ones, still are. People are in places now where they feel fearful for their life. Um, um, and that's following, uh, you know, having received uh, vaccination, um, which we know now, if you do trust the science, yeah, science says that there's, there's issues with it. Um, and um, that's a very sorry state. But during, I mean, I, during that, that period, um, you know, I've got a few, well, quite a number of friends in, in what I'd call the energy uh, world, um, like colleagues and things. And we're trying to work out what's going on here, you know, what's really going on. And a number of us saw a split. So humanity was splitting into two, you know, sections energetically. Um, and one was to evolve to a higher note. Um, so, you know, things all across the board, things would vibrate at a different frequency, get evolve, and old systems would start breaking down. Things don't work anymore in in politics, in medicine, across the board. All the old systems that don't work anymore that have no place, because you know we're not just uh, 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 the Earth sitting here on its own. Uh, cosmos is is just infinitely huge you know and we're a tiny little speck in it you know so we don't govern what goes on everywhere we have to vibrate with what's going on energetically universally and if that's changing which i believe it is people have to choose what direction they're going do they hang on to the old the diseased part you know uh the thing that doesn't work anymore or do they they evolve and move with the, with the energy, change, you know? So be an anchor for something new. Um, and I, I mean, I think there's still a lot of suffering to go on, unfortunately, which is sad. But I do, I do feel that we're moving into a new place. Um, and I mean, the, the work that I do, the energy work, um, uh, which. I remember first, you know, really realizing the power of it and just thinking, my God, everyone should know about this. This is like, this is one of the, the keys to health because I was interested in health always, you know, always interested in my own health and helping others to find health, you know, um, know thyself, yeah? the old, the old sort of phrase from ancient times, you know, um, and um, I think there's an opportunity now. I think that um, people need to re-empower themselves and not um, give their power away. Their, their health is their responsibility. Um, and I mean, I see I see healthcare in the future um, being more integrated. You know, it will, we'll have experts on physical, emotional, mental, spiritual health. And, um, and people will work together. So not one faction will want to 
you know, hold it for themselves. Yeah. I don't, I this, mean, this I, is I, very important because I, I know you know Graham Atkinson, aka the yeah. Red Pill Pharmacist, and I think you watched his interview I just did with him. But you know, we we like to use the term true medicine, uh, and uh, and it what must drive that is a is a philosophy of what's disease and therefore what's the remedy and healing. And so, as far as I can tell. Um, talking to lots of people and, and analyzing as whatever we think we can analyze, it does appear very clear that, and astrologically you've told me that it's, you know, um, it is the time for that fall of, of the empire, an empire of lies, and, and for people to see. <clears throat> but it, it seems to me that the old system has to use enormous energy to try and control its breakdown of which they're failing. Dr. David Cartland, who I spoke to recently, who got completely crucified for just doing one video questioning um, COVID and the vaccines. And uh, I spoke with him, for example, and um, the, the General Medical Council or whatever they're called, absolutely crucified him. And yeah. uh, but they actually put in writing, you know, under different times, you would have been celebrated as a whistleblower just to raise the conversation. But effectively, they've shadow banned. They haven't removed him from the register, but effectively, they've shadow banned him. That no one will employ him. And so, point being, they're using a great big sledgehammer to crack one walnut in a system of trees of walnuts. So it seems to me that that they are on the ropes, these old archaic systems that were have outgrown themselves and perhaps even their inception was not good. But certainly I see, I, I talk to young business people and they look at things from a business point of view. And they said, if you look at it as a business, the confidence in medicine across the world, particularly since COVID has co is collapsing. And yeah. and the the want and desire for true medicine is increasing, and you're seeing an awful lot of doctors and scientists and pharmacists uh, jumping ship, so to speak. So it, I see a very bright future, but I still feel there's going to be a very traumatic period until we out the other side of this. What what would be your as we come to the close? What would be your thoughts of the future that you feel or see? Um, I think people have to make a choice. You know, I think that um, people people have a right to choose. Huh? They have a right to choose what direction they go in, what they believe in. Um, and... Uh, what makes them happy right um with regards health and you know the field i'm in um i would like to think or like to feel that we're moving towards um a a gathering of people across the world that start to acknowledge each other you know um equally so 
An example would be, you know, <clears throat> in my mind, I'd always have this image of a of a health place where you've got um, people like myself, people like yourself, homeopaths, you know, um, acupuncturists, herbal medicine practitioners, um, talking therapists like psychotherapy. Um, and medics, surgical stuff. You know, if you break your leg, you got to get it Cause, fixed. Cause we agree, and so does Graham. Graham Maxson's going to write the baby in the bathwater, where the baby is what's good from yeah. modern medicine, and the water is what we need to let go. But you'll agree, and you've certainly convinced me that that skilled surgery, unfortunately, because how far we've come down the disease generational. But skilled surgery, other than trauma, broken legs, of course, that's necessary. But skilled surgery is sometimes very necessary to buy a human being time to heal the dis-ease, right? It is, but, you know, um, I, 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 the prob there's, there's a problem in, in healthcare with um, training surgeons at the moment, you know. Um, I don't think it's, I don't know if it's in all categories of of surgical work but i know in the field i was going to go into there's there's a sort shortage of surgeons uh i think one is because it's like really long to train it's difficult training and um i'm not sure people are seeing you know healthcare as a uh as a a sort of promising nice thing to go into anymore so there's a shortage of of healthcare workers, doctors, dentists. Um, but uh, it it would be nice, yeah, to 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 think that you know there are surgically skilled people because yeah, I think if you get a disease that manifests and it's going to kill you if you don't get that cut out. Um, I think I'm always got room for miracles. Huh? Things can heal you know, spontaneously and quickly if you do the right things or if it's providence or whatever that means to people. Um, and I think people can heal and have miraculous things happen. But I think if if a disease manifests and it's going to kill you and you have an option to cut it out and then work with the person, look at the thought forms, the, the emotions, the dietary stuff, the, the spiritual stuff then you can start to work with the disease pattern causing it you know always deal with the cause causation don't deal with the result you know if you have to deal with it in the surgical terms okay but causation <clears throat> deal with the cause sort the cause out the body follows you know that's why i find energy work so interesting because you you find lots of the causation in the energy planes or the subtle energies if you deal with that and help that person, you know, energetically to heal that, you're not fixing them, but you're you're helping that pattern to change. And if they make the changes in their life, the way they think, feel, behave, release trauma, change the diet, all that sort of stuff, find the job they want to do, find their direction, soulfully be more fulfilled, right? Then they get well. They get well because, you know, there's no disease there. They're at ease with themselves, you know, they're, they're happy, you know.
But I, I would like to think that the future, and this is the way I see it, would be a collection of very skilled people, you know, doctors, spiritual people, you know, all these people. And I, I'm not talking about, you know, weekend trained people. It's, you know, that's a problem for me at the moment. And you see in, I'm sure your training when you first started out was a number of years, right? Yeah. And all the things you did. You know, all these things have been watered down now. They have. They've been watered down to, to short courses, weekends. I'm sorry, but to turn the sort of the coin the other side, you wouldn't go to a doctor trained for a weekend. You know, you wouldn't. You wouldn't go to a surgeon who trained for a weekend. So why should it be any different for any other therapy, right? People need, if they're going into a, um, a discipline, you do a good number of years in it and also step onto that path of saying self-development is important. And if you're into holistic medicine, right, which we are, um, uh, you, you have to look at yourself. And this is one of the problems in medicine, right, is that many doctors don't look at themselves. They, they, they practice a system of um, diagnostics and treating things, right? But there's no self-development. And, you know, I, I suppose many doctors would would sort of come forward and say, well, actually, um, I did that myself, you know, having been in a system where I'm working with people, I recognize that, so I meditate or I, um, you know, I look into something, I look at things differently. I maybe tweak the way I work. And you do, you get many of these general practitioners. They are, you know, what I would call more holistic, you know. It's but really, I, really interesting and important point because it's who heals the healer. And, and you know, as I see things moving forward into true healthcare, <clears throat> there has to be people before patients because we've got to bring the soul back into medicine and we've got to bring the human being back into medicine. But we've also got to have a new accounting system, which is not just how much money we've made or, or saved, as the case may be, but how well is the doctor doing? How well is the nurse doing in, in all senses of that? Because, mm. you know, take carers of someone who's sick, you know, very rarely is does anyone ask how the carer is and they, they are deteriorating rapidly and so <clears throat> i've burnt out twice um and i'm just getting the hang of this now yeah. after 30 years you know so you know gareth i'm i want to thank you tremendously for coming on um i know there's a whole lot more in you to say and uh, i'm i hope to be in discussion with you of getting your core teachings into the naturopractic consultant course that i want to write where people can be rounded in the skills for helping human beings. But that's an exciting time coming forward. And I look forward to being down in London in February and meeting at our office. And <laughs> But thank you once again, my friend. You're an absolute diamond. And uh, thank you for coming on. That's a pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you. Mm -hmm.